Take your Bibles and turn again to Psalm 107. Psalm 107, and we're going to continue in this passage. Last week, we looked at the first group that, of people that ought to praise the Lord. That is the sojourners, the people who are wandering. And uh, this week, we're going to look at uh, the slaves, those people who are imprisoned. And uh, then I think I would like to move on to another topic next week in light of Christmas coming. So probably pick up this series next year about this time. There's two more groups uh, mentioned in this passage, those that are sick and the sailors. And then the psalm finishes up by talking about God's dominion over the earth. Today we're just going to look at verses 10 through 22, so if you have your Bible, I'll read it out loud. Just follow along if you would as I read Psalm 107 verses 10 through 22. Such as sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, being bound in affliction and iron, because they rebelled against the words of God and condemned the counsel of the Most High. Therefore he brought down their heart with labor. They fell down and there was none to help. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death, and brake their bands in sunder. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness, for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he hath broken the gates of brass, and cut the bars of iron in sunder. Let me read to you again verse 15, which is repeated four times in this passage. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. There's so much, there is so much that we have to be thankful for. And today we're just going to focus on the truth that God has redeemed us, that he's broken our bonds, and that he's given us freedom. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you for gathering us to this place today. Uh, Thank you for the friendships that are represented here. Uh, We have something in common, that is Jesus Christ. We have uh, different ages, different Uh, status. We have uh, uh, men, women. We have all kinds of different ethnicities here. We have folks that were born outside of California. We have folks who were born in California, and yet we all share a love of you. We all share that family, that we are children of God. We all share your Holy Spirit living inside of us, and we, we thank you that we have something in common. I thank you for the visitors that you've brought today, some folks that are traveling over this weekend, uh, others that live nearby and they've come to join us today. I'm thankful for that. I thank you that your word is alive, that it's powerful, that it can uh, penetrate into our hearts and change us from the inside out. I'm so thankful that you've given us that freedom that is in Christ Jesus, that we don't have to, to follow our own sinful selfish, indeed stupid lusts, we can make choices that honor you by your grace and by your power and with the leading of your Holy Spirit. I pray this morning for those that have come and they're not yet Christians, I pray that the message would speak to their heart today. They would see their need for Jesus Christ. I pray for Christians, some still struggling with sin. And I'm asking, Father, that you would give them that victory that is in Christ Jesus as they would see You already have the victory. You've won the victory. They don't have to continue to dwell in darkness. And whatever our need is, Lord, I'm asking your Holy Spirit to meet with us, claiming your promise that where two or three are gathered in your name, there you are in the midst of them. And I thank you for that promise. 
I pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. I have been watching uh, with great interest, and I'm sure some of you have as well, been watching with great interest uh, what the events of, of the Middle East. As you know, several uh, 100, maybe 200 people were initially captured by the group Hamas as they uh, invaded, if you will, the Israel and, and took these people back with them into the, into the Gaza Strip. And I've been following with great interest as over the last few days, uh, maybe 40 or 50 of those people have been released. Uh, can you imagine if that was you suddenly taken from your home and uh, you're in a new place, you don't know where you are, you know your captors hate you, they would be just as happy to have you dead. You're simply a bargaining chip in a, in a bigger plan. Can you imagine being in that place? That's where these people find themselves in verse 10, such as sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, being bound in affliction and iron. They have no hope. And frankly, the reason they have uh, no hope uh, the, the, the reason they're in this place is because of their own choices. And we're going to get to that in uh, verse 11. But they feel trapped. And uh, maybe you feel trapped today. There's been times when I felt trapped. I feel like I, I can't go forward. I can't go back. can't go to the right. I can't go to the left. I, I don't know what to do. The Bible has answers for us when we are in distress. In fact, this verse says that they were in distresses. They're, they're imprisoned, they're miserable, they're in the shadow of death, they could be killed any time. Unfortunately, we have come to understand, we found out, it's been revealed that some of those that were initially captured by Hamas are already dead. And I'm sure the others that are still um, uh, imprisoned are still being held captive. They may be despairing for their own lives. That's the group that we have here. It says that they are sitting in darkness in the shadow of death, being bound in affliction and in iron. That's their condition. And the reason is, is because of their own rebellion. Look with me at verse 11. Because they rebelled against the words of the Lord and contemned, that is, they despised the counsel of the Most High. It's their own choices that have gotten them to this point. And this is important because they're not enslaved because of some injustice. They've not been overpowered and captured. They haven't been tricked and enslaved. They're in this situation because of their own rebellion and their contempt for God's law. Now, if we're going to understand this passage, and frankly, if we're going to come to God humbly as we, as we should, we need to recognize that our hearts are basically evil. My heart enjoys doing what's wrong. My mind thinks I know better than God knows. And often I say, you know what? I know what the Bible says. Just, uh, just now and... I know what the Bible says, but I think I have a better way. They rebelled. They, were, they thought that God's precepts, that his law was a contemptible thing. They had contempt for God's law, and that's what brought them into bondage. That's the way sin works. When we rebel against God, 
When we say, I know better than God, I, got, I have a better way. I don't have to follow this, this book here. I've got my own plans and I'm going to do it my way. Then we are enslaved by sin. And by the way, we should be glad for that. Because it's through that enslavement, it's through that imprisonment, it's through that sense of being trapped that we're humbled and we come back to God. Imagine if there were no consequences for sin. Imagine how evil man, people, men and women, how, imagine how evil people would become if there were no consequences for their sin. Now, the Bible tells us there is none righteous, no, not one. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible tells us that we can't even understand the wickedness in the human heart. And by the way, that's the great dividing line between uh, those people who believe in the perfectibility of humans, that if we just had enough education, we just had enough knowledge, we just had the right environment, we just had the right incentives, we would choose to do right. And those who know what the Bible says is true. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, the Bible says. That's the great dividing line. Well, the Bible tells us what the truth is. And as, as, as long as we hold to that, as long as we understand that, we can understand why it is that God allows sin to imprison us. It's a wake-up call that we're going the wrong way. There's a disease. We um, call it Hansen's disease. It was previously called leprosy. But what Hansen's disease does, what leprosy does, <clears throat> is it attacks your nerves so that you can no longer feel things. And usually it starts at your extremities, your fingers and your toes. Now, if you've ever twisted an ankle, how many of you have twisted your ankle? I was playing basketball one time. I jumped up to block a guy's shot. I didn't block his shot, but as I came back down, my foot landed on top of his foot and went this way. And uh, my, I, I twisted my ankle. And I was in pain for weeks. Mandito, have you ever done that? Twisted an ankle? Fractured an ankle. Do you remember how painful that was? Wouldn't have been nice. Wouldn't have been nice because ankles are something you have to use. I don't know if you noticed that, but it's really hard to get by without an ankle. Wouldn't it be nice if there was no pain involved? Now, let's imagine that there was no pain involved when I twisted my ankle, when Mandito fractured his ankle. Let's imagine there was no pain involved. What would I have done? I would have kept walking on that ankle. I would have said, that doctor has no idea what he's talking about. I haven't damaged my ankle. I'm doing great. Look, it doesn't even hurt. Until what? Until I did permanent damage. You see, that's why sin hurts, because God doesn't want us to do permanent damage. That's why God makes it so that when we choose the path of sin, we end up enslaved to sin. Because he knows how dangerous and deadly and destructive our sin is, and he doesn't want us to go there. It says here in verse 14, excuse me, verse 12, therefore he brought them down. God brought them down because they chose to rebel because they said, I know better than God. I'm going to do this my way. God brought them down. God humbles us. And why does God humble us? So that we will turn back to him. Now, some of you may be involved in some sin today, and you're thinking, boy, 
I think I'm getting away with it. I, you know, I, I know you're saying that it will enslave me and that it'll make my life miserable, but I think I know what I'm doing. I think it'll be okay. Trust me, the Bible says it won't be. Amen. And the question is whether you believe God and you believe his word or whether you trust your own deceitful heart. They were enslaved, they were enslaved, they were imprisoned, not because they were overwhelmed, not because somebody tricked them, not because of some injustice, they were enslaved, they were imprisoned because of their own choices, and now they're trapped. Now that first group we talked about last week, that sojourners, they're trapped in the wilderness, they're lost, they're wandering about looking for a home. This group of people, they're trapped by their own sin. It could be worry. It could be anxiety that's trapped you. It could be the fear of something. The fear of something that constantly leads you to make a poor choice that you later regret. It could be a love of money that drives you to work and work and work and work and think, always thinking, if I just had a little bit more money, I would be happy. And you neglect important relationships so you can earn just a little bit more money. That could be the way that you've been enslaved to sin. It could be pornography. It could be drug use. It could be alcohol. All of these are sins that lead us to be trapped, that imprison us. But I want you to notice that God delivers them. Verse 13, then. When is the then? When they're humbled, when they're brought down, when they recognize this isn't right. I don't have to live like this. Then it says they cried unto the Lord in their trouble and he saved them. He delivered them out of their distresses. He brought them out of the darkness and the shadow of death. And he break their bands in sunder. They're sitting there in a dark place wondering if they'll ever be free, constantly in fear that they're about to be killed. They sit in the shadow of death. They're bound. They can't get away. They can't just stand up and walk out. And then it says that God brings them out of that darkness, that he brings them out of the shadow of death. He breaks their bonds, their chains in half so that they can go free. Then they cried unto the Lord. It wasn't until they were miserable, until they were enslaved, that they cried unto the Lord. Now let me ask you, why is it that we wait until we're miserable and we're enslaved to cry to God? We don't have to wait that long. I want to make this real clear. You don't have to wait until life is so dark and, and you feel so trapped in your sin. You can call to God today and receive deliverance today. You don't have to wait. Don't wait, is what I'm saying. Don't wait until situation is so dark you don't know which way to turn. Don't wait until you feel trapped. Don't wait until you know that it's destructive. The behavior you've chosen is destructive, but you don't know how to get rid of it. Don't wait until that point. In Exodus chapter 2, Verse 22, and I'm going to read it to you, but Exodus 2.22 refers to the children of Israel. Remember, they had gone down into Egypt initially as Joseph's family, and so they were treated very well. They were given the land of Goshen. They were taken care of during a famine, but eventually there's a new king in Egypt, and he doesn't know who Joseph is, and so he enslaves the Israelites, and for hundreds of years they're slaves. 
And here in Exodus chapter 2, verse 23, I said verse 22, Exodus 2, 23, it says, And it came to pass in the process of time that the king of Egypt died and the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage and they cried and their cry came up unto God by reason of the bondage and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. But in the process of time, it doesn't say exactly how many years, but we know they were in Egypt for 400 years. Now, maybe the first 50 years, maybe the first 100 years was great, but at some point they became slaves, and it still took them hundreds of years before they cried to God. But when they cried to God, God heard them, and he delivered them. And the same God that delivered the Israelites out of Egypt is the God that can deliver you out of your sin. You don't have to live in your sin. You don't have to be a slave to your own lusts. So many people, I know them, you know them, they choose their sin over freedom. They know that the choices they make are, are, are constricting their other choices. They know that their choices they make are destroying them, are making their lives miserable, but they just keep going back to those same wrong behaviors why? Because the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, the Bible says. Because there is none righteous, no, not one. And without God's grace, without God's help, none of us can have freedom from sin. Now, don't deceive yourself. I, I've met people, and you have too. They were addicted to drugs. And, and somehow through some program, they, they got freedom. And they'll say, hey, you can get freedom through this program. Or maybe they were addicted to alcohol. And, and some program gave them freedom from that addiction. Or maybe it was worry or anxiety. And, and they found some miracle drug that's helped them. Don't be deceived. God is your only help in this. Sometimes we're slaves to our own stupidity. And I know that hurts to hear it, but I, I'm, I'm right there with you. There was a fellow, his name was Larry. He thought what it would be fun to do was tie a bunch of balloons, 42 exactly, to his lawn chair, helium balloons to his lawn chair, and they would carry him up into the sky, and he would take with him a pellet gun so that when he wanted to land, he was going to shoot the balloons so that he would land. Maybe some of you remember this story. So he ties down his lawn chair to the ground. He ties 42 large helium balloons to it. He gets in his lawn chair with his pellet gun and he cuts the rope and off he goes. Soon he's literally hundreds, a thousand feet up in the air and he's afraid that if he shoots the balloons, he's gonna crash and kill himself. He did not land until the next state. <laughs> As the balloons slowly lost their helium. Now, why did Larry find himself in the next state over? Because he was stupid. He was dumb. He did something he had no right to do. Guess what? We do the same thing when we sin. We know. We know it's going to hurt. We know it's going to break relationships. We know it's going to harm our own body. We know that it just takes up brain cycles with worry and anxiety over things that will never happen. But we just keep going back to it. But when they pray, when they, not merely when they pray, when they cry to the Lord, verse 13, in their trouble, then he delivers them. He saves them out of their distresses, plural. He saves them out of their problems, plural. 
And that's why it says, oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. When I prayed earlier, I prayed for miracles because I know in my life I need some miracles. And I know in your life that you need some miracles. You need God to reach his hand down and break those chains and sunder because you've been tugging at them a long time and you can't get them broken. You need God to open that prison door like you did in Philippi. You need God to open that prison door and let the light in because you've been sitting in darkness for a long time. Cry unto the Lord. Now I want to encourage you this morning because if you are a child of God, then God has already broken your chains of sin. That victory's already been accomplished at the cross. It's already won. We're not going to pray for God to win the victory. God has already won the victory. We need to live it out. Let me remind you of what Romans 6, 17 says. Romans 6, 17 says, But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin. Past tense. Ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine that was delivered unto you, being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. Now let me ask you a rhetorical question. Who freed you from sin? God did. I didn't do it. Your pastor, I didn't do it. You didn't do it. Your parents didn't do it. God did it. Being, made, that, being then made free from sin. God has already freed us from sin if we're his child. In fact, right here in this room, right here in this room sit trophies of God's grace. I don't know if you've ever met someone famous, particularly maybe a sports star, and, and because of their, their athletic ability, they have all these trophies or maybe Olympic medals, and maybe they even have a little case, or maybe they have in a whole room where they display all of these various medals and awards and trophies that they won as an athlete. And they say, here, I won this, 1984, Los Angeles, right? 1988, I was in Seoul, South Korea, won this one. And they have all these trophies, these medals. And who gets the glory for that? The athlete. Look what I did. Do you know what? That you, if you are a child of God, you are a trophy of God's grace. Amen. And who gets the glory for that? God does. Not me, not you, not this church, not any group, not any program. God gets that glory. We have trophies of God's grace. And that's because although God loves us, no matter how we are today, God also loves us far too much to leave us that way. Amen. Now, you may have heard some Christian or someone who says they know the Bible sort of talk as if God just accepts us where we are and then that's it. Yes, God accepts us where we are, but then he takes us beyond that. The first part we call justification, where God saves us by his mercy and by his grace. The second part we call sanctification, where God changes us from the inside out by his marvelous power and his holiness. When I was uh, in, in junior high, my parents decided they wanted to buy a house. And so they bought a house that had only a partial foundation. And the roof was leaking. And it had one bedroom. And there were five of us. And it had one bathroom. And there were five of us. And I am so glad that my dad and mom didn't say, you know what, we're just going to leave the house this way. 
that house needed all kinds of work. In fact, it took them 20 years. By the time they finished the house, I was grown and married and had children of my own. But little by little, they started fixing things. We tore the roof off and repaired the roof. Why? Because you can't be fixing things on the inside of the house when every time it rains, water comes in. We tore the roof off and we fixed the roof. I decided if there was one occupation in my life I did not want to do, it was roofing. They poured a foundation to make up for the pieces of the foundation that was missing. And I discovered that if there was another occupation I didn't want to do in my life, it was concrete. <laughs> Amen, brother. <laughs> we tore off the sheetrock and made sure that the studs that were there were actually there and not rotted away. And sometimes we had to replace studs. And then we put the sheetrock back up. And we added on one side and added a bedroom and a bathroom on one side. And they added another side and they added a bedroom and a bathroom on that side. I am so glad that we didn't leave the house the way it was, that we improved it. And you know what? When God takes you, he takes you however you are. You don't have to, please don't misunderstand. You do not have to clean yourself up when you come to God. He'll take you however you are today, but he's not going to leave you there. And sometimes it hurts the work God does in our lives to change us, to make us trophies of his grace. It hurts. And we say, God, I really don't want to go through this, but why does God do it? Because he loves us. He wants to change us into the image of his son. That verse in Romans 8, 28, we know that all things work together for good. The good that it works together for. That good, that ultimate good that God's working towards is given to us in the very next verse, Romans 8, 29, to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. That's the good God's working in my life. He's not always going to make me more successful or richer. He certainly hasn't made me any handsomer than I ever was. But what he is going to do is going to, he is going to make me more like Jesus Christ. And there's trophies to God's grace right here in this room and in our church. Now, we're all trophies to God's grace. It's just that some are more spectacular than others. We have people in this church who grew up, grew up without a mother and without a father. And if you haven't read the statistics, it's bad. Children who come out of the foster system in any, in any state in the United States, children who grow up without a mother and a father in the United States are much more likely to commit crimes and to be involved in drugs and alcohol. So how did they avoid it? God's grace. We have some trophies in this room, people who were once enslaved to drugs and alcohol. They couldn't stop. They knew they needed to stop. They knew it was bad. They knew it was destructive. But they couldn't stop until they cried out to God. And God gave them deliverance. We have folks here who've been caught up in crime. And they will be the first one to tell you, I was stupid. And you know why they're here today and not in prison? Because God intervened in their lives. Because he broke open that prison door. Not literally, okay? We have no escapees here. <laughs> but figuratively, he broke open that, that door into their soul and shined the light of his grace. And they're, they're free of that. We have people here that used to be addicted to pornography. And they knew it was eating away at their soul, but they just couldn't stop. And how were they able to get away from that? Because they cried out to God. 
And he gave them deliverance. And guess what? Whether it's crime or pornography or drugs, even if it's the small, respectable sins like worry and, and envy and jealousy and anxiety, guess what? God gets the glory when he changes us. That's why I'm not mentioning names. I know who these people are, but it's not important who they are. It's important who God is. He's the one that gave them victory. He's the one that broke their chains. He's the one that brought them out of that. And if you're still struggling with sin today, I, I share this with you because I want you to understand that you too can have victory. You don't have to continue to be trapped by your sin. You can be set free. Call to him. Verse 13, then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble and he saved them out of their distresses. Now I'm going to tell you this because I know in my own life, I've cried to the Lord and in his mercy and in his grace, he's rescued me. And guess what? I had to call to him the next day. And guess what? I called to him again this morning and I called to him on Saturday. Every day I need God. If you think that you can come to the front today and, and get down on your knees here and, and cry out to God and you'll never need him again in your life, you've missed the, the point of this lesson. It's not a one-time thing. It's not a one-day thing. I wish it were sometimes because I'm lazy and I wish I could just do it one time and be done with it, but it's not like that. It's a continual calling out to God. It's a continual renewal, recognizing my dependence on him. It involves me surrendering my own selfish desires and ambitions. As long as I hold on to what makes, makes me happy, right? Or as long as I hold on to what I think is going to bring satisfaction and fulfillment in life, as long as I keep acting selfishly, then I can call out to God and then go right back into my chains. I can call out to God and he breaks open the door of the prison and the light shines in and I say, you know what, I'm just going to sit here because this is what I feel comfortable with. You have to surrender your selfishness. You have to surrender your sin. I'm going to tell you this. You need to surrender your feelings. So many times we make our choices based on how we feel. Some of you may feel like you're still in darkness and, and God's broken the door of your prison open. The light is shining in. You're just closing your eyes and putting your hands over them. We have to surrender our feelings. We have to surrender our pride. In my own life, I can tell you one of the top reasons I don't cry into God is because I think I can do it myself. Now, we don't do this anymore because we have GPS in our cars, but I can remember the days when you had the paper maps, the books, right? And you'd be trying to follow the map, and then all of a sudden you realize you weren't where you were. And the first thing my wife, my good, loving wife would say to me is we need to stop and ask for directions, and I can tell you, I never once, never once the first time she said that, said, you're right. I always said, no, no, I think I can do this myself. I think I know where I'm going. I think I just need to take a right turn here. I need to take a left turn here. I think I missed an exit or I think I exited. Or I think I can get us back to where we need to be. And she'd say, you don't know where we are. <laughs> and I'd say, no, no, I've got this. And you know what? The Bible's like that. It says, you don't know where you are. You don't know how to fix it. And our pride, men, hear me. Our pride says, no, no, I've got this. You're having trouble with your children? 
You're having trouble raising your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? The Bible has great advice and God's grace is always sufficient. But my problem is I say, no, I can get this, God. I'll wait until it's bad. Don't wait until it's bad. Recognize you need God's help every day to be the father God wants you to be. You having trouble with your spouse? You say, well, yeah, I, I, yeah, we, we, we do a lot of fighting, but it doesn't everybody. No. No. God doesn't want your everyday battles with your spouse to dominate your life. He's got direction. And again, God's grace is sufficient for any need and his Holy Spirit will lead you in the right direction. But we must humble ourselves and say, God, I can't do it. I need you. And that's usually where I hit a wall. I say, no, I don't need you quite yet, God. God says, okay. Go ahead. When I was younger, we, my parents got us this little rubber boat. I think it was a three-person, well, it's probably a two-adult boat, but we got all three of us boys in it when we were younger. And they always tied it off to a tree before they let us push off into the water. You know why? Because they were smart and they realized that if they didn't tie us off to a tree with a long piece of rope, we'd probably float away and get lost. Right? And so, especially there was a river, the Quinn River. We used to go camping there next to the Quinn River. We'd get in this river and of course it would just, you know, take you down river. The current just takes you with it and pretty soon we'd be at the end of our rope. And then it was time for dinner. Well, I don't know about you. I like to eat. I really liked to eat when I was a little boy. So we'd get caught, hey, it's time for dinner. We'd start paddling towards shore. And we're in a river, but, and we're small. And, and we could have paddled a long time. You know, if we just said, hey, dad, pull us in, my dad could have pulled us in in a minute. But no, we've got to do it ourselves. Don't be that Christian. Well, you have to do it yourself. Cry unto the Lord. Talk to him about it. Tell him you need his help. Now, there are some habits of righteousness, and I'm out of time. There are some habits of righteousness, and I hope that you are building habits of righteousness into your life. I, I, I agree with that. I'm not saying do whatever you want and call into God for help. But even in building my habits of righteousness, I need God's help. I, I call to him today, and guess what? I'm going to have to call to him tomorrow. And on Tuesday, I'm going to have to call to him. And on Wednesday again, and on Thursday, and on Friday, because the day I don't call to God for help, I fall right back into my slavery to sin. And my sin is different than yours, and I get it. I get it. And we always look down our nose at the guy who sins in a way that we aren't tempted to, and we think that, well, I'm better than him. We need to get past that and humble ourselves and say, God, I need your help today. Then it says, verse 13, then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses, he brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death, and he broke their bands in sunder. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Uh, three things today. The first is, do you know that you're a child of God? Because if you're not God's child, you're going to continue to find yourself enslaved to sin. And even if somehow you break free and, 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 and you can get out, then you're going to pat yourself on the back and say, look what I did. And your pride is going to take you to a place, a very real place of torment called hell. We don't want that for any of you. You don't have to join our church. You don't even have to live in this area because the God who saves is the God of the whole earth. Do you know you're a child of God? Do you know your sins are forgiven? 
that you have eternal life. Uh, number two, are you a Christian who's still struggling with a particular sin? You could point it out. You could write it on a piece of paper. My sin is. And you know it's troubling you. And you know it keeps taking you into dark places. And you know you're sitting in darkness. And you know you're bound. And you know you're in the shadow of death. God already has the victory. I am not going to pray that God wins the victory. God's already won the victory. I'm going to pray that you realize that God's already won the victory. Are you one of those Christians, and we all are to some measure, one of the trophies of God's grace? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to praise the Lord and thank Him for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. You didn't get out of your distresses because you were a good person. You didn't get out of your distresses because you're an A1 Christian. You got out of your distresses because God reached down and brought you out of the miry clay and set your feet on a rock. And we ought to thank Him for that. Father, thank You this morning for Your Word. It challenges me. I know my own heart, deceitful, wicked. And as soon as I think I can do it, as soon as I think I'm good enough, I don't need You anymore. I'm going to rely on my own habits of righteousness. I'm going to rely on my own ability and my own strength. Boy, I fall. And yet You're faithful. Your mercy is never-ending. And you reach down and you clean me up, set me back on the right path. And I'm so grateful for your mercy. Lord, as I come to this invitation, I, I'm asking that you would challenge our hearts. You would help us, help me and those that are hearing me to think clearly about what you have for us. So that we can respond appropriately to this invitation. Before I close my prayer, with your head still bowed, your eyes still closed, let me just ask you, is there anyone here this morning you do not know that you're a child of God?